And of course, we know what that means. That means it is Saturday morning and we are talking fishing, outdoors, you name it. Welcome to then, uh, another edition. Boy, I tell you, you can tell it's early in the morning. The, the rest of the, uh, the vocal cords are not working yet, but they will be before we're done in the next hour. Welcome, everybody. Steve Brown, nice to have you along on this Saturday morning, the edition of Inside the Outdoors. And... Um, Boy, I tell you, we got a great show today. We're going to talk about what's going on at Utah Lake throughout the show. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, Northern Pike situation because there's been a change in that as far as the uh, Division of Wildlife Resources is concerned and what they would like you to do. And a little later in the program, we'll be talking about that. Uh, we'll obviously talk to uh, Gary and George uh, about fishing around the state with our uh, weekly reports. But to start things out this week, um, I guess we're talking about more than just Utah Lake, but we're certainly talking about what's going on at Utah Lake as a big part of our first segment. And we welcome in Richard Allred. Uh, who has joined us. And, you know, I've, t- I've talked to you about this for the last couple of weeks. Uh, joined by Michael Swenson. Michael was on the show a few weeks ago, and we talked about some exciting news going on with the quagga and with the um, uh, with the issues that we've got of, uh, of the algae bloom in lakes around the state. Utah Lake is probably the one that we're most familiar with the issue with certainly the algae bloom. Now, the quagga mussel situation, uh, Lake Powell, and uh, it's probably the only real problem lake that we have in the state right now because the division uh, with a lot of cooperation from you folks out there boaters and anglers have done a nice job of containing and in some cases reversing the quagga situation that we've had there because of the uh, the way you've taken care of your boats but richard is here to talk to us about a technology that again we briefly kind of introduced you to uh, in general terms the big picture a few weeks ago and we promised you that we would bring um, an individual on the show and it happens to be richard who is the uh, the uh, ceo of Alpine Technologies. Is that right, Richard? Of ATS or Alpine Technical Services. Yeah, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here this morning. It's great to be with you today, Steve. This is exciting. Now, you know, it's funny because I, I told people that uh, that we were going to have this, uh, this situation and have the guest on, and their first reaction was, cold fusion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what we're talking about, though, is a way that's already been uh, proven in terms of testing, of dealing with the algae bloom that we experience on a uh, an annual basis, not only at Lake uh, at uh, Utah Lake, but also around other lakes in the area. Pine View is one of them, and several others. But also the the quagga mussel issue that we have, uh, and your company has got uh, a way, and is talking to the state has got a way that you believe that you can uh, eliminate the algae issue, treat it, and also maybe reverse the. Uh, in the quagga mussel situation. That's that's right. We've got a great solution, and it's something that's been tested over many years. It's you know 27 plus years that this product's been in use. Uh, there's been no fish kills. We use it in fish farms. Uh, we also use it in lots of drinking water plants uh, around the world and uh, lakes and ponds. So it, it's it's a good product. Uh, the molecule is, is unique as it disperses and stays where we want it. Um, so talk to me. It's I assume it's some kind of a liquid that is uh, is sprayed or slurried or whatever on a body of water. Yes, and so it's a liquid and it's a, a concentrate, but it uses a very small dose. We measure parts in a lake in parts per billion, um, and so the the usage is very low. It's it's sprayed on uh, in you know water lines or rivers leading to a lake. It may be dripped just with a metering pump, and 
and it goes and it will take care of the algae problems. It kills the algae that's floating on top. This product floats on the top. We did some testing down in Sao Paulo uh, with the University of Sao Paulo who had some columns uh, set up in a large reservoir, uh, almost similar in size to, to Utah Lake. And the product stays in the top meter, meter and a half, always. How long does it last, uh, the, the product? So, so treatment, because water moves through a lake uh, and doesn't stay, you'd probably end up treating probably every two to three weeks, just a small dose if you are doing a maintenance dose and stay on top of it. Through the, throughout the summer or the season, the algae bloom season? Yeah, we'd want to start just before the algae bloom season start. You know, there's some areas like by Provo Bay and that that, that start a little earlier, and we'd want to start. Uh, at that time just so that we can make sure we take care of everything uh, and don't let the bloom get out of control as as i've traveled to some other places brazil and the the philippines if you're if you get behind it then it's hard like anything if you if you wait until the disaster's there it costs more uh, it uses more product now obviously you brought cost up that's one of the things that i'm sure people are going to say well what's the cost every couple of three weeks to have to treat this thing what's the cost you know really we're talking pennies uh, you know, to treat gallons, it, it's it's very inexpensive, and I, I guess it's cheaper than what would conceivably happen if the bloom continues. Because uh, number one, we've got health issues with that, obviously, uh, but you've also got cost involved with with trying to maintain a lake, a body of water when when it blooms like it does at Utah Lake and some of the other places where you can't get people on the water, which means you're losing dollars in terms of tourism, you're losing dollars for recreation as well. So that has to be factored against it. Exactly. There's real health uh, concerns that come with this, and, and studies from around the world show that this cyanobacteria, the blue-green algae, is, is a big issue. And you know, and people living up and down the Jordan River should be concerned with what, what is being discharged from Utah Lake when those blooms are in, in intact so um but they're also a huge cost you know i I live down in utah county you you can't go water skiing uh you know the lake if you go there you get sick uh during certain periods of time and you know it it just makes sense for us why wouldn't we want clean water that lake is is such an enigma well it's such a problem because you have got you've got to deal with the state and the feds involved in it Uh, i live in utah county as well i just think it's such an underutilized and wasted resource down there that we could do so much with that lake if they could dredge it and if we could do some things to it but you're fighting the feds How, how much do you have to deal with the federal government in something like this you know the, there's been a bit the biggest i uh, think problem there is the utah lake commission that there's lots of cities around the lake that that want input too and then you've got the different departments within the state of utah that that need input and and you know so trying to get everybody to want to solve the same problem um you know that's it's it's tricky I got to tell you, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. First of all, it's 27 years, and it hasn't been used in Utah, at least certainly not on a a large scale. And then the quagga mussel issue, which we've talked about, and the state has spent millions and everything else. Why why hasn't it been used? What's what's the impediment? You know, know, anytime you're uh, introducing new technology or change, everybody's afraid of this is a black box or this is something. Cold fusion. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's what I hear. When I told people I was having you on the show uh, and that someone had come up with an idea and a, and a way to treat quagga and treat and treat the, the blooms and, and the immediate reaction was, yeah, cold fusion. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> yeah, so, and this is the same product. You remember a couple of years ago, the Black Hill Reservoir over in Harriman was shut down. We put a, a small dose of this product in there. Within 24 hours, the algae problem was gone. And, and that water is pumped off the, the Jordan River, so it is Utah Lake water. So it, it took 24 hours uh, to take the problem down. So it, it's something that... Uh, that we know works. Uh, several water treat, drinking water treatment plants around use it uh, as part of taking care of the algae coming into the plant. So getting it into the larger system then, so where we're dealing with lakes like Utah Lake or Pineview or places like that around the state, wh- what's the protocol? What do you have to do? You know, there we would use boats, uh, you know, put, put some uh, uh, drums or totes on a boat that's that's designed and then disperse it. Similar you know, to what I, happened at Strawberry when they did rotenone treatment, I assume. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like you're the agricultural spraying. Uh, instead of a farmland, you're doing it uh, over the water. And so it's something that works good. Now, when we look over at quagga mussels, you know, I, we hear all the time, and, and earlier in the year I was at a, a presentation on Capitol Hill and saying there's, there's no way to eradicate it. But, uh, I took with me uh, a published document that shows that Bill Myers' quarry in Pennsylvania Lake was completely eradicated from quagga mussels. And size, obviously, is the issue. I mean, the biggest problem we have with quagga in the state of Utah is Lake Powell. I can't imagine that you could treat Lake Powell as a lake as a whole. Uh, Not economically. You you could treat (laughs) it, but but, uh, not economically. But we can, and and we've done this in in various locations, we can curtain off certain areas that will be a treatment area. Uh, So how large? Well, I guess if you... so, So we could do the marinas around the marinas, and, you know, and that would help with the, the quaggas transferring. You know, the, the, the scary thing about the quagga mussels is there is evidence uh, uh, you know, from other states that they do migrate. And so even though you can you know, go through the ritual of spraying your boat off and that and, and hope everybody complies and, and does what they're supposed to, uh, they still find a way uh, through bladder tanks, through other things to, to get there. And we've even seen them migrate upriver or upstream. So. Um, you know, it's a problem that needs to, to be addressed. Uh, it, the cost of, you know, sh- shutting down the power that's produced by Lake Powell is, is astronomical. Uh, the pipelines, you know, if you're running a new pipeline, uh, for example, like they do, are down over towards St. George. Yeah, I talked about that, obviously. <laughs> you know, a small, a real small dose of pretreatment will keep that clean. Um, I believe Southern Nevada Water told me the last pipeline that they replaced from Lake Mead over to the city cost them, I think it was $1.2 billion. Billion so, with billion. a billion. Yeah, so it's expensive. You're going through hard rock, and and you can take care of it uh, with a with a treatment, and we've, we've done that and documented it in Wisconsin. So you can reverse the quagga situation, for example, in that existing pipeline in Nevada with a treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there are quagga there, you can actually reverse that, and then a maintenance dosage would keep it uh, open? Exactly, a maintenance dosage, and, that, and that's really small. It's, you know, a, a 0.5 uh, PPM dose, and, and it would keep the pipeline clean. So uh, what has to do? What has to be done? I mean, how do you get it into the system? You, you can't, I'm sure, as much as you probably like to, you can't just get a boat out and start spraying stuff on the water. There's, there are steps you have to go through from a state level, I guess, and maybe from the federal level. What, what has to be done? Where, where do you go? Uh, yeah, there, there's all, all kinds of licenses we need to get permits. So you've got to work with the Department of Natural Resources. We've got to work with... Uh, 
Department of Water Quality, um, the Utah Lake Commission, you know, or, or you know, if it's coming off of Lake Powell, you're, you're going to have federal agencies involved in it. So there, there are lots of people, and you know, just hoping the anglers are aware this is this is something that can be fixed. And you know, and, and all of them are aware algae is terrible for the fish. That they, they compete for oxygen, they compete for other uh, other resources, and and you can get rid of it and keep your fish healthy and and keep it good for fishing. You're talking, you know, cost involved is is basically pennies. Talk to me in terms of dollars. If uh, if you had to treat Utah Lake right now, for example, for the kind of algae blooms that we have, uh, you'd be treating the marinas, obviously, where, where water comes in, things of that nature. What ballpark figures, and I'm not going to hold you to it because I'm not going to make you <laughs> give me an exact amount, but I'm, I'm, what kind of money are we talking? Are we talking hundreds of millions of dollars? Are we talking no, millions of dollars? No, yeah, you're you're actually looking more, you know, six hundred thousand dollars to to treat Utah Lake and, and for an initial treatment, or is that for a no, seasonal? That, treatment? No, that would be for a, an annual or a seasonal treatment. You know, and, and and with that, there actually is probably some extra to take care of some of the other lakes that we see are real problematic. Like so, statewide, uh, a couple and, of million dollars would probably treat all the waters that we've got issues oh yeah. with. Oh yeah, I, I mean, it it seems like a. A, a very small amount of money in terms of what we're looking at for the potential size. Of the, I mean, I know that Quagga Muscle alone, that cost for buying the equipment and, and staffing the boat spray areas and all of that, uh, that had to be uh, a fortune that the division and the, the state paid for. Yeah, you know, and if you're just looking at it from an environmental perspective, uh, you know, all those boats waiting in line with their engines churning and and that to get off and to go through those checkpoints, you know, there, there's just a lot of time wasted. There's yeah. a lot of pollution created from from people waiting. Where you can take care of the problem. So where are you along that spectrum as far as getting things squared away and and maybe giving it a shot? Is the state interested in trying it out on some waters and seeing what happens? Yeah, yeah. So we actually have a contract to uh, start. Uh, treating Utah Lake just in some tests in some marinas. Beginning? You know, it was actually beginning last summer, but they were a little slow getting permits out. So this this uh, summer we'll start doing that. We're also uh, working with uh, Michael Swenson, who who was your guest a week or two ago. Yeah, we got to have him every show. couple of weeks or he, he cries. Uh, so. <laughs> working with him and, uh, to help us and, and the representatives to get some money allocated for, for both. So through the legislature through this the year, le- you, you we're actually dealing with the legislature now to try and get that uh, earmarked. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to make them aware that, that this can be taken care of. It, it really is inexpensive. And, you know, the cost of, of letting the quagga mussel uh, leave Lake Powell and come to some of the other lakes, you know, if, if you get it in Deer Creek. Which we had for a while, at least villagers, yeah. You know, you know eventually the pipeline there is gone, and, and then you don't have money, or uh, excuse me, you don't have water. Uh, to pump into Salt Lake for drinking. It, it becomes an issue for people that are thirsty, like showers and, and going to the bathroom. Yeah. So, so. It, it, it's just amazing to me, I guess, for 27 years that it hasn't come and and started to be used. What's the reason for that? You know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a big part of that is the... Uh, you know, one of it, ATS is a, a company I see as a finder. We look for the best technologies, and this technology has been been around for a long time, but it was being used by fish farms, uh, you know, in, in Arkansas and 
Texas and, and in some of the drinking water plants are some of the worst algae places in Tampa and Florida. And, and we've kind of uh, picked it up and said, no, this is something that the world needs to see. And so we've made some big efforts here in the West uh, to get product in. And, and Would algae be the primary uh, target? I mean, in terms of how you divide the solution to the problem, would it be that it's most effective not only from just the fact that it works, but because of the distribution methodology and being able to isolate algae in a certain portion of a lake as opposed to quagga mussel, would would that be the the bulk of the target would be directed towards algae bloom? You know, no, really, I think you you look at both of them because they're two completely different problems and so you know the way we've requested funds from the legislature is you know let's set aside 600,000 for algae issues and 400,000 for quagga issues and 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 that way you know you can do both of them simultaneously uh, and Probably the, not on the same water, they, though, they right now, right? Same. Yeah, because Utah Lake yeah. doesn't have the quagga issue that yeah. other waters do. Would you, where would you target first for quagga? So Powell, I well, guess, is the only one that's got the yeah, real it would problem. would be Lake Powell and, and probably like the Walweep Marina or, uh, you know, just because of the ease of getting there for the state to study it and, uh, you know, you know, take a look at it. You know, the the CAP uh, Sarah, Central Arizona project that runs water off of Lake Mead uh, uses it for quagga uh, control within their operations where they're pulling off for their testing. So they're not getting it out of the lake as a whole. They're not able to, to treat the but, – but the areas where the water has to pass through, those those check valve areas, um, so to speak, where it, things funnel down and they come into a pipe that distributes it, that area of the lake can be treated um, efficiently and effectively. So at least when the water comes through there, it's going to kill most of the quagga that, that would uh, have problems with jamming up pipes and things like that. I imagine the Great Lakes, obviously, would be one of those areas of usage, too. Oh, exactly. Both both for quagga uh, mussels as well as for algae. And then we've got lakes around the state. I mean, any any lake that's got an agricultural area, you know, I mentioned Pineview, but Hiram Reservoir and places like that. I mean, there, there are now algae blooms all over the place that that we I would imagine you just spot those uh, throughout the, the summer and it wouldn't cost anything like what you'd be doing at Utah Lake. No, no, they'd just be spot treatments and, and it's something that's you know manageable and, and can be easily done. Steve, I, I think we might want to mention too, we're, we're in the early phases of working with the Department of Natural Resources and the legislature on an emergency response program. I mean, right now, if Quagga gets out of Lake Powell and ends up in Deer Creek, what is the department and its agencies ready right. to do? We can't, we can't just simply, you know, put our finger in the dike, so to speak. So we're asking for funding and, and DNR is, is on board with the idea that we have a little bit of emergency funds in savings, if you will, in reserve, so that not if, but probably when we do see that happening the state can respond quickly and uh, you know failure to do that would cost i mean a thousand times the cost if we don't address it that's the voice of michael swenson folks sorry <laughs> i've been quiet I've been no lurking. no no. i can't believe you, i've been you, lurking yeah you've been here uh, for for 20 minutes now and this is the first we've heard from you but uh no you guys had it you're doing great <laughs> so 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 down the line i mean i guess the next couple of weeks is important obviously it's critical from, yeah because you you get the legislature has to buy into this and get on board this is and, a bad budget year 
as folks might have heard, you know, the whole tax reform issue, yeah. there's not a lot of extra money and uh, folks are scrambling, sweeping the corners for extra pennies. But we feel that this is so critical that the state needs to invest now. I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that failure to act could cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And so it's critical for the state to put aside what is really just an incredibly small amount of money and be proactively treating this. It blows my mind, too. It's been in existence for 27 years. And, and you know, I mean, I, I appreciate that we're spraying boats, but seriously, we're spraying boats. Yeah. And, and we could be proactively treating this. Yeah, And it sounds to me, and I don't know, again, I don't know what the, the budget was or how much money that the state has put into the boat spraying operation. I know by the time you staff it and, and everything else, I mean, it's a lot of money. Uh, and if we're talking, you know, in, in the one or two million dollar range, it's almost uh, not real money, you know, especially from a from a, a budgetary standpoint, yeah. that if you could eliminate the need to do all the other things or at least minimize it. Uh, and not just from a state budget, if you look at the Lake Powell pipeline and their yeah. discussion of what they would need to filter the larva and things out, the cost to draw, pull that water uphill and filter it, the energy costs are, are enormous. We could potentially minimize that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it sounds, I mean, it certainly sounds promising, and I, I appreciate you bringing it to us. I think everybody who boats, fishes, or just people who drink water around the state, let's face it, we all know that there's the pass-along costs. If it costs this, if we start to have problems and monetary issues to get drinking water from whatever body of water we're talking about to your tap, we're going to pay it ultimately as a consumer. So, right. I mean, this is a way that it affects everybody. You don't have to be a recreationalist to to see where this thing is going to touch your life That's one right. way or the other. Yeah, you know, and the the amazing thing is as you treat for quagga mussels or algae in a lake, that water makes its way eventually to a drinking water plant. And using this product in place of uh, chlorine as a way to kill algae reduces all the uh, disinfection byproducts that come out the back end, which cause health issues and yeah a uh, report just released this last week from from europe showing all the problems that are caused uh, by this and so you're actually getting a two for one if you treat the quagga you're also getting the algae but then you're getting it at the at the water treatment plant that's going to use it down the road so well guys we appreciate you being here uh, no question about it we'll kind of follow this I, obviously i'll stay in touch with michael and we'll follow this through the legislative process and find out where it's going as well. But it's certainly a face value. It sounds like something that we, we really need to explore and look at because uh, that cost, that kick the can down the road philosophy, we've done with all kinds of things. But with our water, there's really no way to uh, to get out of the uh, the idea that sooner or later you have to deal with it. You can't just allow it to, to go and out of sight, out of mind. It's, it's going to be something that has to be dealt with. Yeah, so, yeah, and Steve, we appreciate you getting the word out and how you know Earth Tech can it's, help it's help our clean our water and 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 make it more fun to to fish in Utah. Sounds that that sounds good to everybody who listens to this program. So, uh, Richard, thank you, thanks very much, Richard Allred, uh, and Michael Swenson. Michael, thanks for bringing him in as yeah. as always. Uh, Mike's got his finger on the pulse of everything that's going on around here, and is just an invaluable asset for this radio show. Uh, we are over time, but that's okay because it was definitely worth. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we'll talk to both George and Gary. And uh, stay tuned because, again, we'll be talking about what's uh, some more issues with Lake Powell, specifically with the Northern Pike situation there. That's all ahead right here on Inside the Outdoors on this Saturday morning.
And we are back. Second segment of this Inside the Outdoors on a Saturday morning. Welcome to the program. And, of course, that means that this is the segment we have George Summer in on a regular basis. And uh, he is with us right now. George, how you doing? I'm doing great. And yourself? Good. And I'm hoping you got a chance to get out and uh, maybe sample a little fishing this week. I actually did, and and it was the the fishing part was incredibly awesome. The catching part, <laughs> maybe not so much. Not another one of those weeks. All right, let's talk about it. Where did you go? I went to the East Fork of the Severe in Kingston Canyon, okay, and, and fished that. And I probably should have went up and fished Black Canyon because um, it's a it's a little more consistent in water temperature. Um, you know, I still managed to land one nice brown. But, you know, there was nobody else dumb enough. I mean, there was nobody else there. Um, so I had I had the whole place to myself. And, and I, I mean, I spent hours just fishing and, and enjoying myself. So talk to me a little bit about what you're hearing around the state. I mean, obviously, the moving water is still, you know, there's a lot of folks that do not fish the rivers. Uh, even guys who fish the rivers maybe during the rest of the year don't fish them in the in the winter months. They're missing out, with the exception possibly of the, this last week where you fished. But they're missing out on some good good fishing this time of year. They are. You know, there was a, even where I was at, there was a really big midge hatch that came off. So, you know, those fish... Uh, not there, but you know, I, I know on the middle Provo, uh, that kind of a midge hatch. Those fish are going to fish are going to be really active, um, and it's, then it's just a matter of matching the hatch to, to catch those fish and making sure your presentation is dead on. What about the ice fishing? I mean, we've we've had obviously again snow off and on, but we've had some colder temperatures, and I, I would imagine ice is in pretty good condition in most of the state, especially at the higher elevations. Yeah, the, the higher elevations, the challenge there is getting to the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots and lots of thick ice in a lot of places um, throughout the state, but there's there's so much snow getting there that uh, in most cases you need a snowmobile. Um, the lower elevations or mid-elevation ones, there's still good ice on them. Um, the challenge is, is they're filling a lot of those because we're getting a lot of water with these these odd, warm, cold days, you know. So they get water in the warmth, and then that fills that reservoir up. And you've got that gap that we've talked about before. Yeah, and and then when you've got melting snow, obviously you've got a lot of slush on top, and that's that's going to be an issue, continue to be an issue for people around the state. If you're an area where you are getting some kind of thaw, you're going to have the problem of uh, making sure that you wear boots that are deep enough that if you get that six, eight inches of slush on top by the afternoon that you're not going to have it over the top of your boots. Yeah, and you know, there's one thing that, that most people don't even know about nowadays, and that's gators. Um, you know, when I'm fishing in a lot mm-hmm. of flush, I wear I wear a pair of gators because my boots are only I think they're ten inch boots. Yeah, and so I wear a pair of gators, and then I because there's nothing that cuts a, an ice fishing trip <laughs> short than filling your boots full of water. And, and once you can't get, once you, your feet get cold, it, it's extremely difficult to get them warm again. So you know, wear some tall boots and wear gaiters, yeah, um, to avoid that that slush. And for the uninitiated, that's not those toothy critters that we see down in Florida. Okay, they're usually made out of canvas, and they'll go around your leg, and uh, basically from uh, maybe just above the ankle, that uh, sometimes all the way up to the knee. But it keeps that snow from dropping over the top of your boot. Yep, and it's it's handy at this time of year, and you know with the conditions we're facing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any any hot spots that you're hearing about from an ice fishing standpoint? Um, well, uh, Fish Lake for perch, um, East Canyon for trout. 
Um, you know, Rockport and Echo have been kind of spotty for both Perch and Trout. I, I think it's a, you, know, you get into them, you're good. Um, but East Canyon has been fairly consistent. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, there's been some decent splake fishing on Joe's Valley. Um, you know, some of those kind of places, out-of-the-way places, don't get as much pressure as the Wasatch Front. Um, the fishing's been pretty good. Well, it sounds good, and uh, we'll let you go and uh, get a chance to maybe sample some stuff for us this week. Again, if people want to fish the rivers, uh, this is a good time of year to do it. Do not give up on river fishing. It's a great opportunity. Maybe next week uh, we can talk a little bit about white fishing, too, because I think that's one of those species that a lot of folks do not target. And uh, maybe they do more in the winter than they do in the summer, but it's one of those that can give you a full day of a lot of fun, and we've got some decent size fish around the state of the white fish variety so we'll kind of save that maybe till next week and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it then okay sounds good all right george thanks for the uh, the update we'll talk to you soon take care ah yes we're getting closer you know the boat show was last week this weekend we've got the rv show so we're thinking spring we're getting closer to that mental image of whistling while you walk down the creek bank and everything else with our redhead buddy Gary Winterton, Mr. Hooked on Utah, joins us. GW, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing fabulous, man. How's your week been? It was good. Not as good as yours. I saw the uh, uh, the show you had last week that was uh, on the perch. Boy, I'll tell you what, you got some nice perch up there as you went up to Rockport. Uh, so, you know, some folks are saying, eh, we can't get a lot of perch at Rockport. You, on the other hand, had it all nailed and dialed in with your guide. Yeah, you know, with Sue, she goes by D. You know, she really understands that lake, and uh, like we talked a little bit about last week, she had us on those deep drop-offs 50 feet, and that was producing the big fish. So yeah. big learning there and, and ton of fun. You know, I think a lot of people, and, and that is really a key, a local knowledge, a lot of folks really get uh, intimidated maybe by ice fishing. They think that's a lot of water, which it is obviously out there. Uh, they, they worry about the equipment and everything else. And a lot of folks, I think, don't try ice fishing just because they're concerned about all the what-ifs. You know, what if I get cold? What if the kids get cold? What if we go through the ice? What if we don't find the fish? Uh, what if we have to walk too far? I mean, there's, there's a million what-ifs, and I think a lot of people stay away from it because of that absolutely and in fact steve that's the whole gist of our show this week i've got a neighbor who is from southern california has never ice fished before and every one of those what ifs were his what ifs and i finally convinced him just come with us and let's go up to strawberry and uh, you'll have the time of your life so when we went up this past week it was on one of the days when it was snowing and blowing up there. <laughs> we cut. We were the first vehicles going into the Strawberry Bay Marina Lodge area, cutting the snow drifts that had blown across the road. Wow! And and so he sat in his truck. He was pretty scared. He was looking at me like, "Really? Yeah, are you and crazy?" I, <laughs> I said, "Listen, we're going a hundred yards out onto the lake. We'll just pull our sleds with this group that was with us." And when we get the tent up and we get you going, you'll be in heaven. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. We had such a good time, Steve. You know, we we ended up catching fish that we were actually looking through the ice hole 
in about 15 feet of water, crystal clear. We were watching them come up and take our bait. That's it fun. Was so fun. That, that is always a fun. People people can't believe that, especially, you know, obviously you've got to be inside a tent to do that because you need the darkness, and, the, and then the ice will gather the light down below. But people can't believe that you can watch that happen. It is so much fun to see somebody for the first time watch a fish actually take it looking down through the ice. Yeah. And, you know, I've got to give him some credit. He's fished offshore. He's done a few things. So he, he, he knows how to fish, but he'd never done ice fishing, and he really hasn't fished in Utah. But we're looking through the, down the ice hole, and these fish are coming in, and he's like, don't set the hook on them and bringing them in. And, he, and <laughs> at the end of the day, he said this was so different than what he'd expected. It was so warm in the tent with our Mr. Buddy heater going. With The, the wind was howling outside. I mean, it was really howling. And... Um, he was warm, dude, peeling layers off like you and I have done many times before where once you get that heater going and it warms up, it's so fun on those days like that to just sit there. And if you get in the right spot, and I think we were in a pretty good spot, uh, you know, I think we needed to be a little deeper. We were in 15. I think we needed to be in 20 to really have them going a lot. But we were consistently catching good cutthroats and, and rainbows. But we we had the tent all staked down in the wind and – he walked away from that saying he has a new love and, you know, budding passion for ice fishing, and he wants to go again. And uh, he started asking me, what do I need to buy? So how, I need an ice tent. He was blown away by the depth finder. I mean, the whole thing, he's... He's, he's getting ready to go make a run on Sportsman's Warehouse. Well, and that's one of the things we talked about last week. Going to Strawberry is a great place to do that because you've got the opportunity with the folks at Strawberry Bay Marina. If you don't have the equipment and you want to get the taste of it, they've got everything you want for rent out there. They'll take you out, drop you off, make sure you have that kind of experience, and then typically that's what will start the interest and, and maybe the passion for the sport. Yeah, they do. and they've got. I love the fact that they've got that cool shuttle service. I think it's 40 bucks. They'll run you way out on the lake, get you all set up, and then they'll just say, what time do you want us back here? They'll come back out on the sleds. They'll pick you up and bring you back in. If the weather turns, they'll come get you. Um, So you're not stuck out in the howling wind or anything like that. But it's a great way to do it. It's, you know, they'll get you all set up. and, And then you can go straight to Sportsman's Warehouse and buy the gear yourself, and you know exactly what you want. Absolutely. Well, that's your show tonight, right? It's a good one. I think everybody's going to love it. I'm looking forward to it. It's tonight. It's uh, Hooked on Utah, 11.05, right after Talking Sports on KUTV Channel 2. An opportunity to check out strawberry ice fishing. Opportunity is always there at Strawberry to get some big fish as well. And, and if you do it right, you've got the chance to do it real easily as well. Just show up. Everything you need is for rent there. So if you don't have it yourself yet, you'll learn what you want, uh, what you maybe don't need. But I guarantee you'll have a great uh, time out there with those folks too. So I'm looking Looking forward to the show tonight, buddy, and uh, we'll see you tonight at 11.05. Absolutely. It's going to be a good one, and uh, talk to you next week. All right. Gary Whitterton, Mr. Hooked on Utah. At, uh, be sure and check out the show. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. You know, the ice fishing shows that he's got going on are just really terrific, and this is one of those good ones as well. So we're going to step aside. We've got one more segment left, and it deals with Utah Lake. You know, we talked about a couple of years ago the introduction, illegal introduction of Northern Pike and what the impact is there. Well, they've got a change from the Division of Wildlife Resources. They want to do some things a little bit differently as well. And we'll be telling you about that when we come back right here on Inside the Outdoors for this Saturday morning. Stick around and we'll be right back. Inside the Outdoors. 
everybody final segment of the show on this saturday morning inside the outdoors as mentioned earlier going to talk a little bit about some of the problems that we've had at utah lake and i think we're aware of them obviously if you listen to this program because we talked about the illegal introduction of northern pike several years ago and um, and and we're going to double check and kind of find out how that's progressing and what's going on with it right now because uh, it continues we do have the fish in the lake the uh, the fish, while you think uh, probably actually do have some benefit, and they probably do, they're probably eating some carp. But the problem the problem is that they're, they're eating other things as well, or they certainly have the potential to do that. And the Division of Wildlife has made some changes in what they would like to see happen with the northerns. Uh, of course, the northerns, everything you caught, you were supposed to kill in the past immediately. You could not put them back into the lake. You immediately had to kill them, and then they asked that you uh, either brought them into the spring office or called the Springville office so that uh, perhaps they could arrange to come pick them up and take a look at them and everything else. Well, that's changed. That's still part of what the protocol is. But Keith Lawrence, who is with the Division of Wildlife Resources, one of the aquatics biologists in the central region, uh, is uh, is with us this morning to talk a little bit about the changes, the add-on to that uh, policy that the division would like us to do. So, Keith, welcome to the show. And uh, what are the changes? Thanks, Steve. Good to be with you. Uh, well, as you indicated, as in the past, if folks catch one of the northern pike in Utah Lake that doesn't have any marks on it whatsoever, we still want them to proceed with a catch and kill as they have in the past. What's changed is that, and this is a recent development, is that we've initiated a study to try to get a better understanding of movements of pike throughout the lake, uh, different life stages throughout the year. And the reason for doing this is that uh, our understanding is that in pike management control programs that have occurred elsewhere in the country, those that have been most successful are those that have the best understanding of where the pike are throughout the body of water throughout the year. And we don't have that level of understanding right now. And so what we're wanting to do is to collect some of these fish, uh, and they would be a minimum about 12 inches up to as large as they occur. And at that point, we want to implant them with some acoustic transmitters, which would allow us to track their movements uh, throughout the lake over a period of years and to use that information to help us to implement a control program in the future. So you've done that, correct? You've already tagged with a small red tag some of those fish, and uh, they're back into Utah Lake. So if someone catches a fish with the red plastic tag in it, uh, this is one of those fish that they want you to keep the fish and then get a hold of the uh, division and, uh, and turn them back over to them, correct? That's correct, except that uh, we haven't implanted any fish yet because we haven't caught any yet. Okay. <laughs> uh, fortunately, they're rare in the, in the lake right now, although, I mean, that's good as far as their impacts. It makes it hard, obviously, to collect them and then get information on them. So we have the tags, but we haven't caught any fish yet. But we, And, of course, we don't know when we will, but, but this effort will go on through about the middle of March, and hopefully we'll be able to get some of those tags out. 
So if someone catches a northern down the line with a red tag in it, when you have a chance to and are successful in harvesting those fish, uh, they need to return those fish to you with the same protocol, correct? Either a phone call or, uh, well, I guess I guess they are to they're to basically uh, just let those fish go, release them back into the lake. Is that is that what you prefer to have them do? That's correct. We prefer to have them release them back into the lake. You know, if possible, now each one of these tags, you know, should have a code on it. And so if it's possible for them to record the code or take a picture, you know, of the tag before they release it, then that's other information that we'd like to have in addition to where and when, you know, in the lake that they caught the fish. So that's that's really the only change. There'll be some of these fish out there. And I think it's important for folks to know that as it is right now, there are very few, fortunately, northern pike in the lake, and it'll only be a subset, a small subset of those that could potentially have one of these tags in them. So the chances of an angler catching one are, are low. You know, they're very low, but that being said, we'd like them to be aware that there could be some out there. And if they do, I mean, it's possible that the pike dies or, or gets killed in being caught. If that's the case, then the same protocol call the division, either take it into the Springville office or call the Springville office, and you guys can come pick it up. But uh, you, you want a reporting of what's happening to these fish one way or the other, correct? That's correct, Steve. Yeah, and uh, and certainly if they have one of these tags, one of the red tags on the outside, that means that they've got a transmitter inside, and, you know, and that's a pretty expensive tag and one that, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get some more use out of if we can get the fish back to us. So there's the reason, obviously, to make sure that the fish is returned to you if it does somehow end up uh, being killed in the in the catch process. Uh, talk to me real quickly about the northern, about some of the problems that you have with the northern. Again, looking at face value, you might think, hey, the carp situation there has always been bad uh, since the introduction of carp. You're paying a lot of money to have the carp taken out of the lake. But the problem is the uh, the northern won't just prey on carp, Correct. That's correct, Steve. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that the primary concern is with the June sucker, the endangered June sucker that we have in the lake. Um, hopefully, most of the folks that uh, fish around the lake have an awareness that we do have an endangered species there that we've been working on recovering for the last few decades. You know, it's it, it's great to report that there was a downlisting proposed a few months ago, and that's a result of, of efforts by the June sucker re- recovery program partners over a lot of years and so we're very optimistic about that we'd like to see the recovery continue the real danger with the pike is that they can prey on a wide range of fish and if we're going to ultimately recover the june sucker we need to be able to get them to recruit uh to the adult population so we need to be able to get the baby fish up to grow up to adults and and the pike would definitely be an impediment to achieving that that goal and that's a primary concern. There is a concern, too, about other sport fish in the lake and, what, and how the pike might affect them as well, though. And so this is a joint operation, you know, in the division between the native uh, division and then also the sport fish as well division. 
Well, Keith, we appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you. And again, folks, if you wind up catching a northern pike with a red tag in it, release that fish. Do not catch and kill. If it happens to die in the fight, which is a rarity, but it's possible, then make sure you contact the Springville office of the Division of Wildlife Resources and let them know, and uh, and they will um, they will definitely come and get that fish. But if you get a chance, take the number off the tag when you release the fish. If you're going to do that. And the other thing to do is catch and kill every other northern that you see, uh, that you catch in the lake. Uh, you kill them immediately and then take them out of service and then get a hold of the division. So we want to eradicate the problem there. We've got northerns in plenty of, they're a great game fish, but we have to have them in the right place in the ecosystem. And uh, Utah Lake is apparently not that place right now. So, Keith, thanks again. We appreciate you joining us and, um, and all the best. We'll check up on this as we go along. Thanks, Steve. You know, I just I don't know whether you had informed them of what the number to contact is, but uh, let's give it to them. Uh, for their information, it would be eight zero one four nine one five six five eight. And just so we're aware that they're aware, that's the biologist number. And the reason for giving them that is for whatever reason, our phones we just move into a new office, and those don't have the uh, capability of folks leaving a message on the weekends or after hours. And so with with this phone number, 801-491-5658, they'll be able to do that. That sounds great. Keith, thanks again. We appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. All right, and that's going to do it, folks, for this edition of Inside the Outdoors on this Saturday morning. Thanks to our guests, to Keith Lawrence, uh, to Richard Allred and Mike Swenson, and also, obviously, to Gary and George, who are regulars on this program. But most importantly, thanks to you for joining us this Saturday and each and every Saturday morning. We'll be along next week between 8 and 9 right here on 97.5 The Zone. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Get outdoors, and as always, you have been warned. You